Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who knew even before the helmet came off that he was the one. And I'm Vervada, the girl who will try not to giggle incessantly throughout this episode, but can make no promises. I've been fangirling after the subject of today's episode since I was 17 years old. So I am very excited for this. <sighs> and always, we get up close and personal with each of our character breakdowns. We will be covering events in Mass Effect 1 and 2. So if you're looking for a spoiler-free zone, sorry lovelies, you're in the wrong place. So here's your fucking spoiler alert. And thanks to Sam, who's been an amazing supporter since day one. Cheers, friend. And now that we have all of our systems calibrated. Excellent. Then we have everything we need to open the pod. Today's episode will be about wanting something to go right for Mass Effect's Garrus Vakarian. I've never considered cross-species intercourse. And damn, saying it that way doesn't help. Now I feel... Dirty and clinical. <laughs> Garrus Vakarian is the good cop, bad cop trope rolled into one. And when you first meet him in Mass Effect 1, he's part of C-Sex. Sex. Wow. <laughs> he is part of Citadel Security Investigation Division. Like most Turians, Garrus had his military training at 15, but later followed in his father's footsteps to become a C-Sec officer. As you know from Mass Effect 1, best boy Garrus was one of the only people to suspect Saren initially, and helped you defeat him and save the Citadel. Garrus's most notable character trait is his unflinching loyalty to Shepard, whether you romance him or not. This is dependent on how you play the game, but across the whole trilogy, he is the most constant companion, being potentially a part of the Normandy longer than the other companions overall. Tally is the next longest-serving companion, but doesn't have the same loyalty to Shepard that Garrus does. This is due to their unique relationship of mentor and mentee that Shepard and Garrus have in Mass Effect 1. When we first meet him in Mass Effect 1, he is a young but disillusioned Turian, struggling within the confines of the path his father set before him, and the meritocratic lifestyle of being a good Turian. He often questions the bureaucratic processes that make up lawfully fighting crime. Depending on how you play your shepherd, you can either reinforce this worldview as a renegade Shep, or lay the foundations for changing it as a paragon in ME1. 
If you play Paragon, you can mentor Garrus by showing him that the laws exist to separate himself from the criminals. Garrus tends to do wrong things for the right reasons and displays extreme black and white thinking. In Mass Effect 1, there was an important opportunity to adjust his worldview during his loyalty mission. You could convince him to not kill Dr. Salion, the Salarian doctor that harvested organs, and when the doctor attacks and you kill him anyway, Garrus asks Shepard what was the point if he just died anyway. Shepard replies, You can't predict how people will act, Garrus, but you can control how you'll respond. In the end, that's what really matters. Challenging Garrus's beliefs and encouraging him to grow and think differently is one way Shepard is not only a great commanding officer, but also a great friend. Garrus, in a sense, has tried to emulate Shepard since the end of Mass Effect 1, and tries to become like them by forming his squad to conquer a seemingly insurmountable task. Ridding Omega of all crime is definitely an insurmountable task. But there's that black and white thinking again. It isn't enough to stop one crime lord. He needs them all gone. But Garrus hasn't experienced the trials that forged leadership skills the way Shepard has. No matter which background you picked for Shepard, they survived something. Be it Thresher Maws or war crimes. Garrus hasn't yet. And this is part of the reason for the shit show he got himself into when you find him on Omega. The elusive man advises Shepard to recruit allies for the coming fight, and one of them is the tactical genus and infiltrator known as Archangel. Guess who that is? Our favorite bad boy, Turian. When you reunite with Garrus on Omega, he's made quite the name for himself, kicking ass and taking names against the crime empires. Alongside his team of 12 operatives, he spent the last two years trying to rid himself of feelings of inadequacy and unfairness through vigilante violence. By the time that we meet him in Mass Effect 2, he has grown bitter and disgusted by the world around him, and is filled with anger. He tries to make a difference by killing criminals, but some of the ways he describes doing so are horrific. He has lost his way without Shepard. Whether you played Paragon or Renegade, his reputation as a ruthless vigilante is whispered all over Omega when Shepard arrives. The three main mercenary bands of the station have joined forces to try and stop this seemingly unstoppable entity. Shepard joins a merc band and theatrically fights their way back to him, saving him from himself at the last moment. I don't know about you, but recruiting Garrus is the first thing I do every time. The second he removes his helmet, you can see the change. He was once an idealistic young rookie, but now he's a confident leader with a cocky attitude. You still have to fight off the rest of the mercs, and unfortunately, before the battle's over, Garrus takes a rocket to the face. Luckily, he survives, but he's left with some major scarring on the right side of his face. Nobody would give me a mirror. How bad is it? Hell, Garrus, you were always ugly. Slap some face paint on there and no one will even notice. <laughs> oh, oh, don't make me laugh. Damn it, my face is barely holding together as it is. Some women find facial scars attractive. Mind you, most of those women are crowded. <laughs> it's funny because I didn't even really think about this, but playing in the Mass Effect D&D campaign that I'm in, I'm playing a Krogan. <laughs> So, yes, uh, Krogans are totally okay with scars. If anything, it makes it even better that you have scars. Yeah, right? But 
Shepard was Garrus's morality chain, a sounding board of reason. And when Shepard died, no one was more impacted than Garrus, except maybe Liara. Unsurprising, given the role that Liara played in Project Lazarus, but that'll be in another episode. While most of the other former squadmates just tried to get on with their lives, Garrus's entire life was changed. He tried to be someone Shepard would have been proud of, but it fails. And then he falls back into his dark way of thinking. He is shot with a rocket, leading to the start of his trial of ordeal. The scars are a visual reminder of his failure, to be like Shepard, and with his crew, and Sidonis. This is similar to Luke Skywalker in Star Wars, or Jaime Lannister in Game of Thrones losing their hands, or Prince Zuko in Avatar getting his face burned. Characters that bear physical marks of a failure are usually in a story about redemption, and Garrus is no different. Shepard has a lot of impact on Garrus's character development, and this is because Garrus is actually a foil for Paragon Shepard themselves. The two tropes we can compare them to are called the cowl and the cape, or Batman and Superman, respectively. Essentially, the cowl punishes the wicked and the cape protects the innocent. Both seem to serve a similar purpose, but the methods and the intentions are far different. Garrus does not commit his acts for the purposes of glory or for the thanks it should garner from the helpless, but he relishes in the blood spore and knowledge that justice is being served. His own version of justice, that is. His dossier from the Shadow Broker mentioned some very creative deaths. One such death involved shooting a gun smuggler with a gun they had smuggled. But my personal favorite was when he coughed on a Quarian virus specialist turned serial killer. It made me laugh, but also, damn Garrus, <laughs> that is cold. You can see his mental state from the cruelty and creativeness of these deaths. Yeah, like, damn, that's ruthless. And Garrus has plans for his former ally turned traitor Sidonis. A condition Garrus has upon joining your mission to stop the Collectors, and is his loyalty mission, is to find and kill Sidonis. Sidonis was one of his crew members in Omega, but Sidonis betrayed them with a trap, and all but Garrus were murdered. Garrus wants revenge, as usual, but for Garrus, there is more about wounded pride than it is about justice. Turian culture says that when a subordinate fails, the leader is blamed, because they were the ones who were supposed to know their subordinate's limits. Garrus and Sidonis are both Turians, and the betrayal feels extra sharp, knowing that Sidonis's actions reflect back onto Garrus. This is a departure from the other loyalty missions as well, where most of them deal with family issues, Garrus deals with revenge. As Shepard and Garrus start tracking down information on Sidonis, it becomes increasingly apparent that Garrus's dark side has come out to play. I know we've been focusing more on Paragon Shepard than Renegade, but this is because I believe the most impactful character development for Garrus happens through Paragon Shepard. So the first step in finding Sidonis is speaking with Harkin. Does it shock anyone that V leans Paragon and I lean Renegade? <laughs> I don't hit the Paragon interrupt while dealing with Princess Harkin. If I can remember the name of a side character that I spoke with for 45 seconds out of a 60-hour playthrough, you made an impact for sure. Just a few weeks ago during our interview with Pipe Man, this little ass hat was brought up and we played a clip of the vitriol he spews at Femshep. So yeah, I let Garrus shoot him every time. But I don't mind slowing you down a little. 
I think that last line pisses me off so much. What did I ever do to you? You were an asshat. He's probably such a piece of shit. Yeah, he doesn't even remember what he did. I mean, I don't disagree that he does deserve to be kneecapped. But I don't want Garrus to be the one to do it. Because I don't think he deserves to bear that on his soul. Like, either way, you get the information to find Sidonis. And Shepard and Garrus set off to confront him. Um, Shepard, though, is a bit shocked. Either way, how it goes... They're shocked by what she's witnessed, and she'll try to talk him down. Harkin's a bloody menace. We shouldn't have just let him go. He deserved to be punished. Getting a little worried about you, Garrus. You were pretty hard on Harkin. You don't think he deserved it? This is not like you. What do you want from me, Shepard? What would you do if someone betrayed you? I'm not sure, but I wouldn't let it change me. I would have said the same thing before it happened to me. It's not too late. You don't have to go through with this. Who's going to bring Sidonis to justice if I don't? Nobody else knows what he's done. Nobody else cares. I don't see any other options. Of course he doesn't see any other options. He's been trapped in a cycle of injustice and vigilante violence for months and has viewed the world this way for years. As a CSEC officer, he's seen criminals go free due to lack of evidence or bribery. And especially during Mass Effect 1, when he saw the Council and society at large disregard his own and Shepard's warning about Saren, and then about the Reapers. He strongly feels that the only way to get things done is his own way. One of Garrus's character flaws is that he takes things personally. While he may think he is a bad Turian, he is still culturally Turian, and so he believes the wider world reflects on him because he takes things personally. These are distorted thoughts. The world doesn't reflect on him. But Garrus is obsessed about ridding the galaxy of crime. This is why he feels he has no other course of action than to kill Sidonis. Garrus's loyalty mission is unique in that there is no way to fail it. No matter how you play it, you earn his loyalty. We're going with the Paragon option here, though, just because, once again, I still think it's far more narratively satisfying. I agree. I let him shoot Harkin. But straight-up murder of someone who honestly is a shell of a man at this point isn't for me. But I can also see how letting Garrus shoot one dude to clear his guilt isn't the worst thing ever. Paragon Shepard can convince Garrus not to kill Sidonis. Sidonis is clearly feeling extreme guilt over what had happened, and his life with that guilt is punishment enough. After the scene ends and you meet up with Garrus, he will reflect on his obsession with finding and punishing Sidonis, and realize that there was still good in him after all. But that makes life a bit more challenging to navigate. I want to know I did the right thing, not just for me, for my men. They deserve to be avenged. But when Sidonis was in my sights, I just couldn't do it. The lines between good and evil blur when we're looking at people we know. Yeah, there was still good in him. I could see it. So much easier to see the world in black and white. Gray. I don't know what to do with gray. It's just so much more satisfying to show Garrus that the world is painted in shades of gray. Watching him grow is literally one of the best parts about Mass Effect. If you really mentor him as a paragon, it's easy to forget that he's one of the youngest companions at about 25 when you meet him in Mass Effect 1. When he's grown into a one-Turian army by Mass Effect 2, it's pretty unbelievable how young he is. He is relatable because of his ethical and moral struggles. Character arcs revolve around a central problem that the main character helps resolve. 
Morden, feeling guilt over the second genophage. Grunt, needing identity. Miranda struggles with her father. Rex becoming a leader, etc., etc. But Garrus, any struggle he has is framed by Shepard's sense of justice and these secondary arcs. Dr. Salen, Sedonis, they are used to reinforce his attachment to Shepard. We've mentioned this, but Garrus is Shepard's best friend, regardless of romance status. Narratively, Garrus's story arc is how he grows closer to Shepard. Sure, there are internal struggles along the way, but mainly, he's at his best when he's with Shepard. In the time apart between Mass Effect 1 and 2, Garrus remains trapped in a stagnant period of time compared to the other companions from Mass Effect 1 who self-actualized in many ways. Despite the Shadow Broker saying he would never fully flourish under Shepard's leadership, Garrus is weakest and out of his comfort zone apart from Shepard, romanced or not. You walk through hell and make plans in heaven together with Garrus. But before we get into the juicy romance bits, let's take a mid-break and hear some fun facts, a mundane moment, and about some of the other podcasts available on the Robots Radio Rocket Club. Can it wait for a bit? I'm in the middle of some calibrations. No, I can't wait. We need to take a minute to thank our patrons and then get back to why you are the best of the best of the best. (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. Do you love Dragon Age? Have you always wanted to learn more about its vast world and detailed lore? Are you still attached to your hero of Ferelden, even a decade after Dragon Age Origins came out? Or maybe you're a newer fan, still discovering a new tidbit or quest every day. Well, either way, the Dragon Age Lorecast is the podcast for you. I'm Austin, also known as Teacup. And I'm Shelby, also known as SheCup. And come and join us as we embark on a journey to explore and discover all things Dragon Age. We'll discuss all kinds of topics, from Lyrium to the Chantry and the great mysteries of the old gods, and even more that even you Bioware superfans might not know about. So come and listen on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Once upon a time, 27 years after the bombs fell, there were two people, a vault dweller and a California girl. They met and sparks flew. That's when things got interesting. Once Upon a Wasteland is their story. Follow Elizabeth Kirby and Odessa Valdez as they pursue their happily ever after in the post-apocalyptic Appalachian wasteland of Fallout 76. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and many other podcasting platforms. Once Upon a Wasteland, a Fallout 76 love story. Available now. This week's mundane moment. 
was submitted to us in the Two Girls One Ship Discord channel by Psych88 about what Garrus and Shepard's relationship would look like a few years down the road. Garrus, the dishwasher doesn't need to be calibrated, but it's not getting them to a sparkling clean like the ads say it should. Honey, the last time you calibrated something, the toaster oven now roasts bread. I never understood the nuances of human English. How can you have so many words that mean the same thing, but do different things? That's not the point. The point is, if our dishwasher doesn't work properly when you're done, we'll be reenacting the first contact war in our kitchen. Yes, dear. I love it. I love it. I 100% could see Garris taking apart every kitchen appliance, trying to get it to work better. So cute. As long as he actually makes it better. Fine by me. Okay, on to the fun facts. We can find out during the Shadow Broker DLC that Garrus's mother has a rare neurological disease called Corpalis Syndrome, which is basically the Turian equivalent of Alzheimer's. He had been sending money home for treatments and even sent a tissue sample of the collectors to try and help researchers find a cure. What a sweet baby. Oh. I swear, Garrus is too good for us. Just like our listeners. Bestest buds of the pod and hopeless romantics, Toasty and Apollo, we love you. And big hearts to the over 130 followers we have on Spotify. Knowing that we have so many of you tuning in each week makes this all worth it. Garrus helps make everything better. Surprisingly... BioWare never intended Garrus to be romanceable. They pivoted after a multitude of fans' feedback from ME1 asked to be able to romance the sexy space chicken. I'm so glad that they did, because his romance is undeniably one of the best in the industry. It really, truly is. I know I'm very biased, but also facts. Let's jump back in and find out why. We can test your reach. And my flexibility. Oh, I didn't. Hmm. Never knew you had a weakness for men with scars. Well, why the hell not? There's nobody in this galaxy I respect more than you. If we can figure out a way to make it work, then... Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. The yeah, definitely reminds me so much of the... You make me feel... Human with Caden and it's just that 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 moment in between the words that is just it's fucking perfection nice little pause mm-hmm. dramatic pause as you've just heard the romance doesn't exactly start out as a romance at first Shep just suggests that they sleep together to work off the stress which Garris doesn't object to he speaks in actions not words so this is an easy decision for him he's awkward and nervous but is willing to try because, like he said, there isn't anyone he respects more than her. He actually gets more insecure as time goes on, worrying that their interspecies love affair will crash and burn, just like every other relationship in his life so far. It's so endearing, his awkwardness. It's easy to assume that he is insecure over the potential awkwardness of sleeping with a human for the first time, and that may have some part of it, but 
Garrus is naturally very confident and secure in himself because he's capable. So is Shepard. What he's insecure about is ruining the one thing he treasures most in all the galaxy. Shepard's friendship. You know, Garrus, if you're not comfortable with this, it's okay. I'm not trying to pressure you. Shepard, you're about the only friend I've got left in this screwed-up galaxy. I'm not going to pretend I've got a fetish for humans. But this isn't about that. This is about us. You don't ever have to worry about making me uncomfortable. Nervous, yes. But never uncomfortable. This is part of what makes Garrus and Shepard's romance so unique. It starts based on respect and trust and later morphs into love. They don't have fetishes for each other's species. In fact, a human and Turian couple might be seen as taboo, given the fact that the first contact war was only 26 years ago in Mass Effect 2. Garrus isn't attracted to humans. He's attracted to Shepard. Her ass-kicking abilities are definitely one of the first reasons he falls for her. But by the end of the trilogy, he's so in love, he literally wants kids. I can't wait to get into how the romance progresses past Mass Effect 2. But for now, let's talk chafing. Resident doctor and scientist Solarian Morden will warn Shepard of the dangers of ingesting when it comes to Turians. As Turians are based on dextro amino acids compared to humans level amino acids. See the Mass Effect lore cast for more info on that. And see Dr. Morden Solis for more info on comfortable positions and erogenous zones with the Turians. We stand open and informative talks about sexy time here on Two Girls, One Ship. Yes, yes we do. Okay, now I want you to travel this path with me, listeners. We just heard Morden inform us that sex is possible between a human and a Turian. And we have learned that the basis of the relationship for Garrison and Shepard is respect and trust. Just last week, after recording the Miranda episode... I was chatting with Shipster Let's Not in a Discord chat, and she presented me with information that blew my mind and really made me think about my preconceived notions about gender identity and physical attraction. If you are a human who is physically attracted to other humans, there are probably physical attributes that attract you to them. Beautiful eyes, a great rack, that deep V-cut of a six-pack those are human attributes. What attracts Garrus to Shepard is their courage, their mind, their heart. To put it bluntly, why would a Turian care if you have a human vagina? On that same note, Shepard states that it is level respect and trust they have with Garrus that makes their relationship special. Why couldn't Bro Shep have that same relationship? My first reaction, honestly, was, wait, what? No, bro and G-Man would never. But then I realized that was me putting that on them. If what attracts humans to other humans isn't there, and the relationship is based solely on a deep level of friendship, why can't it become physical? The same logic applies to Thane and Tally. Why would human sexually attractive traits matter to a non-human? I also understand that this is me looking at it with very newly opened eyes in 2022 and not over 10 years ago when Mass Effect 2 first came out. And when people didn't even know if the alien romances would be pushed against again, like they saw with reactions to Mass Effect 1's Liara. Mm -hmm. 
Well, aside from the fact that Drell were specifically designed to be found attractive by feminine people, I understand what you're saying here, but personally, I view it through the lens of demisexuality, where you must have a strong emotional connection in order to feel sexual attraction. I think that's the basis for the physical relationship that Shepard and Garris go on to have. And I personally relate to that very strongly. I think it's a great representation of how sex can come from more than just immediate physical attraction. The dynamic their relationship starts from is not unique to Femshep. So it could easily, or I could easily see that between Broshep and Garrus as well. They would make wonderful friends and lovers. In Mass Effect 3, and especially in the Citadel DLC, Garrus is very physically attracted to Shepard as well. So it does happen eventually. We'll get there eventually. We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay, back to the endgame content and not the thoughts that I've been trying to sort out in my head over the last week. Garrus is actually the only romance in Mass Effect 2 to give Shepard an out, should she want it. After they have flirted a bit and confirmed to each other that they are interested in testing their reach and flexibility, at one point Garrus will ask if they are crazy even to attempt it. Sex, love, the whole thing. He is nervous. He doesn't want to ruin it the way things always seem to get ruined around him. He thinks it's best to wait until right before the endgame mission, just like every other romance in Mass Effect 2. His reasoning is probably the best out of all of them, though. You know me, I always like to savor the last shot before popping the heatsink. Wait, that metaphor just went somewhere horrible. I'll let you get back to work. Right, because I'm in a great place to optimize firing algorithms right now. The heat sink line gets me every time and I am here for it. It is exactly my kind of humor and just the type of relationship I like to see. Garrus is again nervous and shy, never embarrassed by the situation, but he just wants to do it right. I fall in love with this man every time I talk to him. I do too. (laughs) I have a particular weakness for adorable boys, especially written by Bioware. After the Shadow Broker DLC, Shepard can admit to Liara that she just wants to give Garrus some peace, and admits that she never thought she'd find comfort in the arms of a Turian. Liara will say that she hopes they find some happiness. I know what makes Jen happy in the actual romance culmination scene. (laughs) All right. Let's break down that scene. Okay. Yeah. I'm still waiting for it, too. There is a date scene and a meeting in the commander's room, but it fades to black after a forehead touch. Now, I understand not wanting to show us what a Turian looks like naked. I get that it might have been too racy to show what a true cross-species liaison looks like, I understand, but seriously, you couldn't have gone further and given us a kiss or a hug? Seriously, can I please have a hug of all the ones to let me down? This one hurts the most. The respect and trust, the devotion and the loyalty these two have to each other goes above and beyond any other relationship in Mass Effect 2. So why couldn't they go three steps further and give me something more? 
Take his hand. Sit on the couch. More dialogue wouldn't have hurt my feelings at all. Give me a makeout scene there. Ragaris leans over, and we see Shep falling back onto the couch. And it were to fade to black there? Still sexy. Still on this side of the line. And still a hell of a lot more than what we see. Okay, let's get into what actually happens in-game and not in my head. When I asked for individual scenes for the romances, this is not what I meant. But the date itself is cute. Garrus tries to impress and gives us a whole nother set of classic lines. If you were a Turian, I'd be complimenting your waist or your fringe. So, your um, hair looks good and your waist is very supportive. Hopefully that's not offensive and you Wow, consider me seduced, smooth talker. Now shut up and stop worrying. I, I just... Uh, I've seen so many things go wrong, Shepard. My work at CSEC, what happened with Sidonis. I want something to go right. Just once. Just... Sweet, sweet baby boy. And the level of trust they have is seen here. Shep lets him know that he doesn't need to try so hard. And to turn off that music. I agree, no club hits are needed right now. A shared bottle of wine, and all the pre-research vids Garris watched, and the digital manuals Morden sent to me, it's all that we need. So yeah, that's about it. This romance really is about the moments that lead up to it, and the pictures you can create in your own mind. Trust me. When I say that this kills me, I hate myself for what I'm about to do, but I gave myself the task of rating only the physical romance. And here is where I keep my integrity. The physical romance between Shepard and Garrus in Mass Effect 2 is a 4 out of 10. They have moments outside of the endgames. They have paragon interrupts where you can have more touches, but it fades to black way too soon. Vervada, please take us away from this dark, dark space. I will happily do so. On the other hand, the romance itself is, in my opinion, a 10 out of 10. It will only get better in Mass Effect 3 too, but we'll get to that in a future episode. This romance is, to me, an example of what a true love relationship is all about. It's refreshing to see a woman mentoring a man for once. Yes, I know Garrus is a Turian, but still male. Not only is he a few years younger than Shepard, but he is also not quite as mature when we first meet him. In the romance, we get a unique power shift that isn't seen in a lot of relationships. The fact that Shepard's strength, power, and capability are things that initially draw Garrus to her just speaks volumes about how secure his masculinity is. And that's sexy. It's also sexy how hard he works at the relationship. Love is work. You have to rise to the occasion daily. His shift from unromanceable in Mass Effect 1 to romanceable in Mass Effect 2 can be explained away by Bioware not realizing we'd all fall for him, but it makes sense for Garrus as a character, too. In Mass Effect 1, he's a wide-eyed young idealist, never once touching Shepard unless you meet him after becoming a Spectre, you can shake his hand. It's like such a romantic kind of touch, though, isn't it? <laughs> they aren't equals here. Touching would communicate too much closeness where it hasn't been earned. 
This dynamic completely changes in Mass Effect 2 because now they are equals. The first time they touch, it's when Shepard offers him an out of the proposition to be together, where before Garrus was nervously pacing, he stills, allowing this single point of connection. And this is when we first get some true vulnerability from him. Instead of making jokes, he reassures her that she could never make him uncomfortable. There is such gravity to their touches. Consider the romance scene as well. When Garrus is stumbling over his words, worried and anxious yet again about ruining their friendship, admitting he just wants something to go right, Shepard leans in and caresses his face, and he goes quiet immediately. They touch foreheads and Garrus holds onto her arm, because Garrus is a man of action. He gets better at the wordy bits, but so much of their relationship is through their body language. This will be explored more in Mass Effect 3. Garrus may start out not being physically attracted to Shepard, but he totally is by the end. He is emotionally and spiritually attracted to her, finding someone he can both completely trust and rely on, and someone who is equally capable, if not more capable than he is. She offers him safety, and he in turn offers her stability. Everyone else has something else to live for. Tally has the flotilla, Liara is the shadow broker, Miranda her sister, Jack her students, Bane doesn't live, which is awful. Jacob cheats on you anyway, which is also awful. Caden and Ashley have their fancy careers, etc., etc. Not Garrus. Garrus is resolutely and stubbornly all in. There is no shepherd without Vicarian. This is why he is always my romance choice in Mass Effect. Same. I can't pick anyone else. There is no shepherd without Vicarian. And now I'm gonna fucking cry. <laughs> Oh, honestly, though, like for real, even if you don't romance him, how can you not love him as a character? He's so amazing. And that's how the Dextro cookie crumbles. If you haven't guessed, we are two girls who fucking love us some bad boy Turian. And if you like what you're hearing, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes or give us a rating on Spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me in our Two Girls, One Ship chat on the Robots Radio Discord channel. And come give us a follow on all the social medias and on Patreon at Two Girls, One Ship. Links to those are in the description. I'm on the Robots Radio Discord as well. And also be sure to check out our live stream on Twitch and YouTube on Fridays at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. Our podcast episodes are coming out on Mondays now, FYI, just in time for your commute. Check out the description for all links if you are interested. Thanks for listening, and remember, beauty is in the eye of the controller. Do you love Dragon Age? Have you always wanted to learn more about its vast world and detailed lore? Are you still attached to your hero of Ferelden, even a decade after Dragon Age Origins came out? Or maybe you're a newer fan, still discovering a new tidbit or quest every day. Well, either way, the Dragon Age Lorecast is the podcast for you. I'm Austin, also known as Teacup. And I'm Shelby, also known as SheCup. 
And come and join us as we embark on a journey to explore and discover all things Dragon Age. We'll discuss all kinds of topics, from Lyrium to the Chantry and the great mysteries of the old gods, and even more that even you Bioware superfans might not know about. So come and listen on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And always remember, swooping is 